Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, hosted as always by Grant Cohen and Keegan Slattery. Hey there. Uh, today we have Zach Kromkowski, uh, co-founder of Sention Cybersecurity. Hey, Zach, how you doing? Having a great day. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So how did you fall in love with cybersecurity? So cybersecurity, I actually first fell in love with sales and business management. But while I was at school, I really realized going towards software was going to be the most interesting thing for my career path. And that landed me into looking into getting some minors, which I actually got in um, CNIT, which led me down the path of learning about cybersecurity and how it relates to business and pursued that full time. Cool. And where did the ideation or the inspiration for Sention come from? So Sention really came from initially what the big players were doing. So we really tried to rebuild what was really hot in the market, which was a platform called like Endpoint Detection and Response. Um, there are some really big notable players doing that. But the inspiration for Sention came when we were actually building that. Um, talking to people we thought would be interested. And we identified a few different, more specific verticals that may be less competitive and more interesting for us, which is how we landed on a concept called OS hardening. Wait, can you tell us more about that? I love the way you guys use like a, like a system hardening as kind of the frameworks. I feel like a hardening is like a defensive, you know, it feels like you're putting on armor sort of, uh, vibe for it. So I love that you use that as part of your tagline language. Can you explain to me kind of like, you know, at least technically what that means for the, for the consumer in terms of hardening their systems? Yeah, honestly, you hit it spot on. It's a defensive layer. So um, the really cool thing about the cybersecurity space, um, the narrative today has been very reactive. You know, hey, a breach probably already took place. I'm probably already hacked. We have to react to this. But what you just said kind of summarized it. It's a defensive layer and armor. So we really went about it in an effort to change that narrative. You know, what if you don't have to be breached to find the attacker? What if you make it harder for them to get into your business in the first place by adding this hardening layer? Um, system, we didn't come up with the terminology hardening. Um, that is very much a known concept in our, in our space. It's just the scope we focus on. Yeah. Cool. And, and break down what hardening means to the yeah, non-knowledgeable. Yeah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. So hardening um, in the sense that I'm talking about today, um, let's take a Windows laptop or a workstation, for example. There are hundreds of settings you can change and modify in order to personalize your machine. Um, this could be like your screensaver, what you have in your taskbar, um, very basic things like that. But there's also settings such as your password policies, inactivity timeout, what happens if you put your the wrong password in so many times, more, I guess, complex settings that if changed could make your system more secure. Oh, interesting. So you guys are basically kind of taking that easy layer, though, not easy layer, but there's a lot of like basic stuff that people just don't know they can do that they can implement right off the bat in their computer to instantly make it more accessible or less accessible and much more safe. That is exactly right. I mean, hardening is making it less accessible, of course, for the user, which is a little bit of an annoyance, right? Yeah. You know, if, if you have to put a 15 character password instead of your typical four digit pin, that's a little bit more annoying for the user, but it's about accessibility. So now that hacker trying to get in or making you a target has a much more difficult way, chance of getting in. 
um, they'd have to put a lot more man hours and probably move on to an easier target. Yeah. So it looks like, at least from what I can understand from your site, you guys are really trying to position too with a focus on more small independent businesses. Can mm -hmm. you tell us kind of about like how that came about that you wanted to focus on that size of, of company as opposed to, you know, going after the massive tech companies that are out there? Yeah. And th this is a great, great question. So what we found in the larger enterprise um, businesses is they may not... Um, they have larger teams. They have larger IT teams that typically will handle all the configuration management. And because they're so large, they will even have separate teams to handle the security configurations within that IT team. So they have an abundance of people to go in, test out these configurations, create the deployment methods, and ultimately handle creating that hardened baseline to an extent. Unfortunately, when you look at the smaller businesses, um, specifically we're looking at managed service providers, they will um, be very stretched. They're handling everything for their clients. They're mm -hmm. handling, you know, the printer going down. They handle user access and dozen and one things to where managing the configurations on one client's machine that has, you know, 10 laptops or 20 laptops, they have 20, 50 clients, which can add up to hundreds and hundreds or thousands of computers to where they no longer can scalably manage each unique um, hardened baseline for their clients. That's where we come in to help. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. You, you mentioned changing narratives uh, a bit earlier, especially as you take uh, vertical applications from bigger companies and really to try to provide more value to the client. Um, what have you found is effective in terms of changing narratives? And I would imagine that comprises a certain amount of content strategy and really like, you know, awareness type content. So curious how you think about that and what's worked for you so far. Yeah. So Sentian, we actually based our, I guess, security um, recommendations based off of a globally recognized, accepted best standard, best practice um, entity, a nonprofit. It's called Center for Internet for Security. Um, CIS. And effectively to change this narrative, we've really aligned ourselves with them because they provide hundreds of recommendations on the best way to prevent um, preventative security measures. So by aligning ourselves with them, we're moving into a space where, you know, it's not Sention alone changing the narrative. It's not, hey, Sention says to do this and you'll be more, more secure. It's Sention's working hand in hand to follow the recommendations of this known, accepted um, source of truth. And with that behind us, makes it a lot easier to change the narrative with a partner rather than on our own. Um, but going into strategies like you were asking, content. Content is the name of the game today. I imagine you guys start your podcast, um, you guys understand content more than most. <laughs> Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about like your content strategy so far? What have you, I mean, it, it takes a, usually a journey to find your way to the thing that's working the best. So I'm kind of curious, like what was the journey that brought you to know that content marketing is the, is the right way for you, for you guys? Yeah. So it was a long journey. I'll start off with that. Um, we really went into this with the expectation that everyone would want preventative security software that if we can just simply make this easier, it would be a grand slam. What we really realized is preventative security is great, but they want, but our audience wants to understand, hey, by doing this preventive measure, what specifically am I preventing from happening? What's the like actual thing? 
give me more proof of why I should do this. And this just happened over and over again to the point where now with my content marketing, I took about 430 of the recommendations from CIS um, benchmarks and took their technical explanations for what a configuration does and rephrased it as a, with a security point of view. By doing this, this helps prevent. By disabling this, it increases security because, and rephrased all of these settings um, in more of a digestible language for our audience. Um, what I've then done with this content is invited um, certain SMEs and partners that we have to interview about these configurations and um, build rapport in that way. Oh, very cool. And then you guys package it up. Do you guys package it up as like almost like video interviews or podcast interviews and stuff? Yep. Video interviews is what that would become. Yep. It's a it. process going on right now. So stay tuned for Satyan to get some of that content rolling. <laughs> I love it. So, have you, so how have you guys been tracking then your sort of the overall pipeline and how much has this influenced your pipeline? Oh, yeah. So we have, our, so you can sign up completely free um, going to our website link, which I'll toss to you guys to put in the description and whatnot, but um, it'll have a field that says, how did you hear about us? And that's just been the easiest way to kind of track where our leads are coming from. I love it. Self-reported attribution. It's kind of wild <laughs> how helpful it is because when you start putting content out there, it has much more of a viral effect. So it's been shared to a person who shared it to somebody else. And you never pick that up with, you know, looking at your attribution sources in your CRM or Google Analytics. It doesn't read any of that stuff. So having that self-reported attribution in there makes so much sense. You get way richer data. You know, a lot of people will put in, you know, just Google or something, but you then you get those things to show you those little markers saying, oh, wow, podcasts referred by a friend. Someone showed me this video. Um, and you get that much richer data to understand where people are actually finding out about you. Absolutely. And it was, it was really um, hard to find out how we could drive them to do that because having content is great, right? But what's going to make them want to give their email, you know, their um, contact information to sign up for such a thing? So we actually found through just doing our presentations and selling Sension that a part of our solution that costs us very minimum um, really became a standalone offering um, that we provide for free. Um, and that's mainly is taking all of those hundreds of settings that I've talked about today and cross-compliance mapping those to regulatory frameworks. So basically we leverage the content to educate about the solution. And then we have a free offering to where they can see a deep dive of these settings and how they relate to regulatory frameworks they might have to meet in their business. That's huge. Oh, that, makes, yeah. that makes a ton of sense. Do you also find success? Like I, I went through your LinkedIn earlier and I saw that you've even attempted a few memes, some SpongeBob memes, and I think it was uh, fairly odd parents as well. And I, the question in this is like with a really technical product, you know, at times there's a really technical buyer and, you know, you need to speak in the frequency that that person cares about. Um, but at other times there needs to be a certain level of brand awareness and using humor or really just distilling something down into, you know, I can explain this simply through something graphic, like a meme is really effective. So I'm curious, like how much thought you put into um, like simplifying the messaging, especially for folks that are listening to this, that maybe have really technical products that there is that education component of content and the sales process. Absolutely. I appreciate you checking out the memes. Um, yeah, of course. A lot of the time, I think they're here to us internally than the external even sees it. So appreciate you getting a kick out of them. Sure. Um, memes are cool. I, I'm not 
completely sold that it is the correct thing for every single business. Um, this kind of goes back to the brand and the messaging you want to put out there. So for Sentian, we extremely focus on ease of use of the solution and making sure it's easy to understand. And we do lean into memes um, at times to further explain these topics. Um, but if our brand, which some cybersecurity firms go for, is more, I hate using the word, like fearful tactics, um, you know, guy in the hoodie, it's always dangerous. Um, I'm not so sure memes would have the same impression on their target audience base because of the relationship and the brand they're building. So it's kind of just both ways in my mind for us. Um, I really enjoy it and it gives me a chance to relate more with our um, audience base. Yeah, it gives you that human touch too, right? Like that there's not just a person who's trying to scare you around, you know, the thing, the bad things that could all happen. Like there's a lot of, I mean, by doing this, you don't have to worry about the bad things as much. And you can just have that human tone um, that people relate with a lot more. Um, and especially, I don't know if you guys are doing any paid distribution on channels, but, you know, that kind of uh, meme focus and stuff does really, really well on platforms like Reddit. Because you're speaking the Reddit speak, you're in the, you know, the culture <laughs> yeah. of Reddit. And so it's really appreciated by the users there. You know, to have that type of uh, tone and everything. Absolutely. Reddit's kind of a funny one because um, definitely in my field being security, IT, Reddit's a very popular tool. And um, the users of Reddit will look for vendor reviews straight from Reddit. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's become one of those uh, platforms where that's where everyone goes. Like I'll, when I have a question, I'll type in my question and then Reddit at the end. Yep. <laughs> Someone on Reddit has asked it and there's a great... A lot of very opinionated people who are very well informed about whatever topic you're looking for. So it's become one of those really great knowledge sources, better than just straight Googling something. Absolutely. Um, yeah, are I, you guys? I think, oh, go, go ahead, Grant. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of value in what Keegan, what you were saying earlier of having a personal touch. Like Zach, I've seen that you've had, you know, sort of a personal component to your LinkedIn posts as well. And I think that, you know, not always using LinkedIn when you're asking for something or you want to promote something um, and providing value to a community is really how you build a community. So I was curious how intentional that was or if you just like posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, I definitely enjoy posting on LinkedIn and my, my role at Sension outside of just being a co-founder, where I really focus is on the customer point of view and being hand in hand with our partners is really my role. So when I can share things about my personal life um, and they know what's going on or where I'm at in the world, going into meetings with them, I've actually had partners say, oh man, saw you were just in so-and-so, how'd it go? And I didn't have to bring that up. They broke the ice to that first meeting. You know, we have that rapport relationship. Um, one of the most interesting things that starting to post personal content really showed me is how much the security um, security industry loves the concept of living full-time in an RV. Um, I've been posting about that a little bit um, as I'm transitioning to that lifestyle. And the things people say in meetings um, are absolutely thrilling. A lot of people actually own RVs in our space um, that I had no idea. And it's a great icebreaker I have with a lot of people. And it's a topic I love talking about. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So you're moving full time to living in uh to living in an RV and getting the whole Starlink cookup, I'm sure, and all that. Yep. Entrepreneur on the road. If Starlink can video conference, I'm good to go, which I do know it can. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned partnerships. What are what's kind of your current partnership strategy in terms of um, you know, finding other vendors and other outlets for you to help, you know, promote and, and sell your services? What does that current partnership strategy look like for you guys? I mean, we're all partner focused. So 
we working with managed service providers, they already have their entire client base. So of course we sell to the MSP, but they're not the end user who's necessarily using the solution um, on a day-to-day -day basis in their environment. Um, they very well could be in a lot of scenarios, but um, they're our partners. So we leverage them completely because we are bound to them. Um, other partners, um, we have been working with um, another more marketing style virtual CISO company, um, Cyber.sc, and they've been able to help be part of some of this content that we're doing. Um, we've actually even implemented a product advisory board, um, and they've been very helpful in a more ingrained relationship with us um, to completely keep that going. Does the product advisory board, do you find that that helps inform not just like, you know, where the product's going, but also the features that you talk about when you're building out content and building out marketing? Yeah, it's 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 been a big game changer because they're able to be involved with the update cycles, for example. So they're definite, the advisory board we chose for this scope was definitely more technical to where they can have um, FaceTime with our developers and really have conversations with them on, hey, this needs to be prioritized because, um, or they're willing to question and critique, like, why are you doing it this way? Um, so that's been really helpful um, in that sense. We do have other advisory team members who are more focused on the overall strategy, but all of them are able to show us trends in the market, things that we make, like key insights that we may need to be aware of and account for, or better strategies for long-term success instead of the short-term necessarily. So they're, they're very involved with our business. <laughs> Yeah. That's and how, yeah. And what, what it's it like to have an effective session with somebody like in the product advisory board, do you bring them all together? Are these like individual mentors? Cause I would imagine a lot of the value is understanding, you know, or trying being able to manifest your vision and mm -hmm. then, you know, bouncing those ideas off of someone who has maybe more experience than you, or, you know, more reps, uh, you know, executing on their own vision multiple times and understanding the timing of things and making sure that the cart, you know, and the horse are, are in the right direction. So curious how you think about that and really how to run an effective product advisory meeting or session or however like that um, happens. Agendas are key. I feel like um, that's something that can definitely be overlooked with a lot of um, advisory boards. So way that we have built it is that we have two formal um all product advisory board member meetings. Um, right now, we have um, three product advisory boards uh, members. Um, we intend to grow that to four once we find the right fit we're looking for. Um, but you have two meetings, one that takes place after the most recent um, software update to go over features, usability, what's been going on. And then one, two weeks later to talk about um, the usability of that update. Did it function as you expected and whatnot? Um, and talk about the next update cycle that's going to be coming out. So the, there's two formal all product advisory board meetings, but the majority of the real value is the time you schedule one-on-one -on -one, um, because you can really dive deeper into topics um, and you kind of do those ad hoc. That's not so much on a formal schedule basis, calendar links. <laughs> I think it's an excellent way to help guide product strategy. I mean, just getting that, I mean, that feedback is so incredibly helpful to get it directly from your customers. I think yeah. um, not a lot, not all uh, companies do that and they really should just everywhere from product development to also marketing, understanding, you know, how it's being positioned. All that is you know, super important to have that feedback. 
Yeah, um, I think that's a great, great thing to talk about too. It's they're using your solution. We're not building this for our own needs. Um, we need to build this for the other people who have their hands on it. Um, and if we try to guess, um, eventually our guesses will not be as accurate as they could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For any software um, company looking to come up is really just get people involved. <laughs> totally. I find that um, from the paid media side, when we're looking at creating copy and creating, you know, different kind of themes of paid media that we're going to put out, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever, um, having that feedback from somebody who is actively using the product helps you pull out kind of like the emotional triggers that mm. are the most important things to those people. And a lot yeah. of times it's not, oh, you can do this nifty thing. It's like, you saved me hours of time by doing it. This way. <laughs> you saved this massive headache from happening. You know, I didn't have to get up at 3 a.m. to check on some security status because yeah. of this. And it's like those very relatable human moments about doing your job on a daily basis that we try to pull out in a lot of the creative that we make for clients too. It's just, be, but a lot of that comes from talking to customers. You got to talk to your customers and the people who are using it to know what that thing is that it's actually helping them in their life every day, you know? Absolutely. And the best thing is when you get into the conversations with them and they're like, wow, um, if I would have had your tool um, or your solution last year, I could have avoided this much business disruption or this much downtime because you solved for a problem I already experienced um, in the past. And then calling them, calling out on that is super impactful to know like, okay, we're still doing the right thing. We're on the right path. It gives <laughs> validation and a sense of purpose of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And as we wrap up, really would love to hear what's next for Santion and how our community can support you. Yeah. So I did mention this earlier. Um, Santion does have a free offering to just kind of do a deep dive into all the security configurations, how they might map to regulatory compliances. Um, so that's a great way to get out there and see what we're all about. Um, but the greatest way to uh, really support us is just to connect on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a great source for us, um, the IT community, IT security community is very active there. Um, I'm, I live there <laughs> and we will be producing much more video content as well. Um, all driving back to that free offering. So would love to have the support. Cool, Zach. Well, definitely appreciate that. And you will see this podcast on LinkedIn very soon. Thank you for the time. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks, Zach.